theme for today is my son. And we're going to be looking at Proverbs 3, verse 11 to 12. And I'm going to read it right here. It says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. title for this message is my son and we find here a key principle to what it means to be a son now proverbs as a book is based around this discourse between a father and a son and proverbs the general overview the general gist of proverbs is a father imparting wisdom, knowledge, intelligence, wise stuff to his son. So that his son doesn't mess up. So that his son doesn't go down a road that he shouldn't go down. And end up in a rubbish, no, sorry that's a really English word, I'm from England. Rubbish. Terrible, I don't know what you guys call it here in America. Um, a bad life. And so the whole of Proverbs is based around this discourse between father and son. Now, I don't know who your dad was on earth. I don't know how he was or what he was like. Um, but I do know that in YouTube, there are some pretty amazing dads. And so I want to take a look at the screens and see some. I just want you to take a look at some of these amazing super dads who have done it all for their kids. Let's, let's take a look. Super dad or what? I don't know if you had a dad like that. My dad sat here down on the front row. Hi, dad. 
Just thought I'd embarrass you in front of everyone. Most dads spend their whole lives embarrassing their kids. So now it's my opportunity to embarrass my dad all the way from England here with us today. Um, so let's give it up for my dad right here. Now, I was kind of watching that and thinking, most of those situations in those videos would never have been happened if the dad wasn't, you know, doing something dumb or stupid with their kids, like on the bike, you know, trying to follow him along and he goes off the edge. I think dads probably end up making more <laughs> than they do saving it. But some of those super dads did a pretty amazing job at saving their son. And, and I wanted to show you that because it kind of gives you a picture of what God is like in Proverbs. Because a lot of people, wow, the kids are going crazy out there. Um, God bless them. A lot of people, they think that God is this like stingy God in the sky who doesn't want the best for us. Who just wants to give us a bunch of rules and say, don't do this, do do that. But Proverbs isn't about that. It's not like that. Proverbs is a dad who loves his son, who wants to stop him from falling off the edge of the bed or off the edge of the sofa or off the edge of a horse, or wherever it is you may find yourself in your life. Because you can be doing something and think that you're doing great, and then something comes along and starts to throw you off and you're falling. Proverbs is like the arm of God, which reaches out and say, says, don't live like that. Don't do that. It's dumb. You will end up falling and you will destroy your life. The thing is, nobody likes to be told what to do and what not to do. Least of all, my son, Noah, who has, who's four years old. How many here have kids? A couple of you guys. Some of you don't, so you don't know what I'm talking about. But I'm going to explain to you. Because this passage, it tells us that God is a God who disciplines. And the whole point of a father-son relationship is to open a channel for that discipline to come. You didn't want to hear that tonight, did you? That God is a father and he loves us, but he also disciplines us. Nobody likes discipline. And so when my son, when it comes to the moment where it rarely happens, because he's golden boy, of course, sometimes. But when he goes over the edge and he just, he's been trying it on too much, or he's just flat out looked at me and said no. Or he's picked up some big toy and whacked me over the head with it because he's mad at me. There comes a moment when you just, you know, you got to get out the wooden spoon, we called it in my family. And I don't like to do it in front of people because that's like, you know, you don't want to shame your son when you're, when you're disciplined. So we have a little room we go into. And I'm going to try and demonstrate for you what it's like when somebody like my son Noah gets disciplined when they don't want to be. It goes something like this. <clears throat> no, 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 no. I don't want to smack. I don't want to smack. No, no, no. Have you ever heard that in, before? <laughs> the parents here have. It, it sounds, if you've ever been in my house, it sounds just like that. Not only that, 
But every part of his body that can move is moving in the moment to try and escape the grasp of his father who is trying to show him a better way by directing his path. But he doesn't see it like that. And he doesn't want to receive it to the point where one day I had to take him, we were in the bathroom, and I don't go into this too much detail, but anyway, he was, he was going to get a smack, smack backside. Um, pam, pam, we call it in our house because that's what they call it in Colombia. And he was like, really didn't want this. So he was like kicking and screaming so much that he actually kicked the toilet paper dispenser off the wall. Um, and, and then promptly, you know, he puts his hands on his butt so you, you can't get anything. His, I don't have enough hands to pin his legs down and his arms and hold them in place and then smack him. That's the kind of, anyway, you get the picture. That's the kind of son I have. But he's, I mean, he's super expressive and I'm not going to, he's not bad all the time. It's very occasional. But sometimes it's like that with us. And when discipline comes, we're like a little kid. And we're like, no, I don't want discipline. It's horrible. Why would anyone tell me what's good for me when I already know? I'm an adult. I don't need to be told what to do by anyone. I'm good enough. But the truth is that we're all pretty dumb and stupid. Sorry, you didn't come here to be told that either, did you? But speaking from my own experience, I'm, I'm dumb. I do dumb stuff. And I need a dad who's perfect to come along and help me. To tell me, don't do that. It's stupid. You're going to end up in a mess. And then if I go and do it anyway, then he comes along with a little stick and just makes sure that it nudges me in the right way. And the Bible says that God is a God who disciplines And he does it because he delights in us and because he loves us. Now, I was reading this passage in Proverbs and and thinking, well, how can we understand it a bit better? And then I actually found one of the writers of the New Testament quoted this very passage in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5. And so we're going to read it out today. So if you have your Bibles, get a hold of it. We're students today. Take out your Bible, your notebook, whatever it is, your iPhone. Most of you got like iPads and phones and whatever. Um, That's fine. Take it out. Go to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5. And I'm going to read it out. And I want you to read it along with me in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, peer over the person next to you. It's the one time it's not rude to read what somebody's reading next to you. Hebrews 12 verse 5. Here we go. It says this. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Hopefully. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of of spirits and life? 
For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Amen. Amen. Today, I want to look at two foundations to this passage, and then I want to look at two questions. Say to the person next to you, two foundations and two questions. So we're going to start off with the foundations, because in a good study, like good students that we are, you've got to look at the basis of what you're looking at. And then also as a good student, you have to ask the right questions. And so we're going to start looking at two foundations that we find in this passage. And the first one is this. It's really, really simple. We are children of God. And as a result, God is our Father. If you can understand that, really understand it in your heart, everything in your life will change. The problem is sometimes our earthly fathers have tainted how God is. Sometimes, I mean, I don't know who your dad is or was. Maybe he was all right. Maybe he was terrible. But no father is perfect. The amazing thing is, there is one father who is perfect. He never messes up. He never makes a mistake. And his discipline is always right. I was thinking that the other day, like, as a dad, I think one of the hardest things is to know if you're disciplining in the right way or not. And sometimes when your son does something and you think, I don't want him to be like that. So how am I going to correct him? How am I going to direct him? And sometimes you do something, you think, why the heck did I do that? I'm being really honest with you today. I look back and I think, why did I do that to my son? That was, a, that was stupid. <laughs> that wasn't a very good fatherly thing to do. And sometimes you nail it and you're like, yes, I am an awesome dad. And he comes up to you like, dad, thank you. You're like, what for? For disciplining me. No, he's never said that. I wish he had one time. Maybe one day when he's older. But no, no, you can be the best person that you, you can be, but you're still not perfect. You still mess up. The difference between our earthly dads and our heavenly dad is that he is perfect. Look at what it says in verse 10 of this passage in Hebrews 12. For they, that's our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. Now that word, that phrase there, as it seemed best to them, it actually kind of means to their pleasure. What they wanted to do. And so the writer of Hebrews is explaining to us that our earthly fathers discipline us or have disciplined us in the past in the way that they felt was right. But there's a problem. They're not perfect. Sometimes they get it right, sometimes they get it wrong. And it comes from them. 
And ultimately, they're thinking about what they think is right. Now look at what it says about God. But he, that's God, disciplines us for our good. I love this. Because God never disciplines with selfish motives. God's true fatherly discipline is always thinking about you and what's best for you. God's discipline comes from a heart of pure, unadulterated love for his children. And there is not an ounce of selfishness in it. God's discipline is completely selfless because it's ultimately for our good. When he looks at us as children, he sees us and he says, I know what's going to be great for their lives. How am I going to get them there? By being a dad. By disciplining them. We're going to look at that in a bit. Exactly what happens. But he does it because he loves us. You know, God didn't have to adopt us, to to take us as children. He could have just left us. You guys are so privileged. All of us here are so privileged today. We could have existed in Noah's time. If you know who Noah was, he was the man who built an ark. And then God flooded the whole earth and Noah was the only one who survived. That could have been you. (laughs) But it wasn't. You're here today because God loves you. He wants the best for you. He could have just left you. To go to hell and suffer eternal damnation. But he chose not to because he loves you. He wants what's best for you. And that's the true nature of discipline that comes through love. So the first thing that we can see, the first basis in this is that we're children of God. And as a result, he disciplines us. And that's the second thing. God disciplines Not many people say that today. God is a God of love, grace, mercy, but he's not a permissive God. He's a God who disciplines. Why? Because he knows what's best for you. So many people, you know, they come to you and they say, oh, but I think this and I think that and I think that I'll be better off this way or I think that if I go out with that person, I'm going to be happy. I think that if I live this life, I'm going to be better. I think that if I do this um, business deal that's a little bit shady and I don't pay my taxes, I'm going to get more out of it and I'm going to do better in my life. And you're like, uh, you're not. But nothing you can do or say convinces them because they think they're right. But God is a God who disciplines. And this passage says, actually, if you're not disciplined, if you don't receive the discipline of God, it means that you're not a child of God. Or you're an illegitimate child. God does not just let you do whatever you want. What am I saying? I'm saying this. If you live your life however the heck you want to live it, you are not a child of God. If you live your life doing whatever you want to, 
in any situation, at any moment, any time, you're not a child of God. Because a true child receives discipline from God, their father. And it shapes the way they live. So that they can grow up to be a better person. So this brings me to my two questions. Because if I stop the message there, if I was listening, I would have some questions. And I was thinking about this. Okay, we get to the end of the basis, what the Bible says. Now what are the questions? What do I want to know beyond this? Well, the first thing that I thought, a question that popped into my head was this. Why does God discipline us? Say to the person next to you, why does God discipline us? Because if you don't understand the reason for discipline, the payment will always be too hard. You'll be that child kicking and screaming. Breaking the bathroom. Yelling at your father in heaven, I don't want to know. Leave me alone. I want to live life how I want to. Stop pestering me. Stop bugging me. Stop bothering me with all this church nonsense and stuff. I know how to live my own life, thank you very much. I'm an adult. I turned 31 this week. Does that make me an adult yet? I don't know. Well, I guess we'll find out. You don't understand why God disciplines you. The price will always be too high. So why does he discipline us? We're going to go back to verse 10 and we're going to finish off the verse. We read that he disciplines us for our good and then it finishes with this, that we may share his holiness. The whole point of discipline is one word, perfection, holiness, being perfect. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 48, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Is that unrealistic? Is that impossible? Is Jesus in that passage saying something that will never happen? Be perfect, just like God is perfect. I want to say to you that it's not. It may seem to you like it's impossible, but it's not. Because God is a God of grace. And through faith, we can receive what we need from God through the discipline in order to be perfect, as he is perfect, like our Father in heaven. You may not be as big as God. You may not be able to do what he does, but you can still be perfect like him. And that's the only, that's the goal. And then in verse 12, it says this, because it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There is a result an end of God's discipline. Every step that we take takes us to that goal of perfection. The word here for trained is where we get the word gym from. So when you go to the gym, what do you do? You train. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not one of those people that likes to go to the gym and have one of those personal trainers telling me what to do. Maybe that's why I still look like this. Because I try and do it myself in the garage and it doesn't come out with the same results. And it's the same in our lives. Like, 
When you have someone helping you who's already been there, already done that, they know what you got to do to get to where you got to go. It's different. When you try and do it on yourself, well, just look at me. You're going to stay skinny. God is there to train us. But it's a, it's a process. It's something that's hard work. There's a phrase, no pain, no gain, when you're in the gym and you're like, oh, come on, this pain is going to get me somewhere. It's the same with God. When God disciplines you, it may feel painful, but there is gain. And he will change your life, shape your character, and you will become better. And your life will be better as a result. How many of you want a better life? How many of you want your life to get better every day? Submit to God's discipline as a father, and you will receive it. So that's my first question, and I want to finish with my last question. Okay, after all that, what does God's discipline actually look like? What does God's discipline actually look like? Because he's up there or somewhere in the heavens, and I'm here. He's not standing next to me like my earthly dad was. And I'm sure you've all got some great stories of when your dad gave you a good beating. My friend here, Edwin, has a great one. You can ask him, ask him at the end. So how does God discipline us? What does God do to discipline us? Three proverbs with three things that God does to discipline us. The first thing we find in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 22 says this, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. This proverb tells us to listen to our fathers. What are we listening to? His words. What he's saying. God has spoken to every one of us and his words are contained in a book called the Bible. The first way God, and this is probably the nicest way, the first way God disciplines us is through his word, through his Bible. When you open the Bible, when you read the word of God, it's there to challenge you, to convict you, to make you think, am I living like this or not? If I'm not, then I've got to change. And you should read it like that. You should read it as if your dad in heaven was reading it to you. And I'll set you that challenge this week. Read the proverb of every day and do it imagining that God is actually saying it to you as a father. And receive every single verse as if it was wise words from God himself. Basically saying, don't do that. It's going to mess up your life. Live like this. And it will go better for you. That's the first element of God's discipline and probably the nicest one. Because the next one, we find in Proverbs 13 and verse 24, says this. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. This is God's word. It's a bit controversial these days because there's like a movement, don't use the rod on kids. I'm not going to get into that. All I'm going to say is that 
That's what the Bible says right here. It says, whoever spares the rod hates his son. The second thing God does is he does use a rod for us. And then that begs another question. Well, if he uses a rod and he's up there and I'm here, how does that work? I want to tell you a story in the Bible about a guy called David. David was the king of Israel. He was a great man. The Bible wrote that he was a man after God's own heart. But he messed up. And he messed up big time. He saw the wife of one of his friends, one of his soldiers, bathing and was like, ooh la la. Got her to come to the palace. He's the king. People do whatever he wants. And he slept with her. And she got pregnant. Freaked out. Tried to make her husband come home from the war and, you know, have the baby. Or seem to have the baby. So it was his, but he didn't. And so then he was left with only one alternative. Get rid of his friend. A guy called Uriah. So he killed him. We had him killed. Problem solved. And he went on living his life. A whole year went past. You know what God did? He got out a rod. And he gave him a good whack around the head. How did he do it? He sent a man called Nathan, a prophet. A man with spiritual authority to come to David and tell him what for. Tell him that his life was out of order. God sometimes uses people in spiritual authority over our lives to discipline us. And that is called discipleship. We are a church who believes in the power and the importance of discipleship. That God has created leaders, and those leaders are there to guide and strengthen and help discipline the disciples. Notice the similarity in word, disciple and discipline. And in the same way that God sent Nathan to David to discipline him, to say, you're out of order. What you've done is ridiculously wrong. He's done that for us by placing people in spiritual authority over our lives. And sometimes God uses those people to come along to say, don't live your life like that. It's a mess. You're going to end up in the bottom of the barrel. You're going to end up in a mess. Don't go out with that person because it's not God's timing. Don't get into that relationship because it's not the right thing in this moment for you. Have you prayed? Have you sought God? Have you asked God what he thinks? Well, I thought I could just do whatever I wanted. No, you're a child of God. You can't do whatever you want. And that's why God uses a smacking stick, a rod to put us back in line. And sometimes it can feel uncomfortable. But remember, it's for our good so that we can end up in the right place. And that's called discipleship. If you don't have a leader in your life, someone with spiritual authority who can speak into your life, and I say it like that because you can have a leader, someone with a spiritual authority, but you won't let them speak into your life. Some of you here go to cell group. Some of you here have a leader, but if they are not able to come to you and say, hey, what are you doing? Don't do that. If they say that to you and you're like, don't you tell me what to do? 
How dare you? I'm a Christian just like you. I read my Bible just like you. Who are you to tell me? Put on my best British accent there. If you react like that, well, then there's no point having a leader. And just as God sent Nathan, God sent that person to help you, to guide you. So it's important to be in what we call in our church a cell group. Because it's in that setting that God uses to discipline us. Cell groups are small groups that we have during the week. And our, our church is not about what's going on here on Sunday or Saturday night as we are, but about what's going on during the week in our cell groups. And it's in that setting where your leader is there to help speak into your life, guide you, instruct you, and help you get the most out of your life. Listen to them. Don't ignore them. Because God is speaking to you through them and helping you to live a better life. And note, it comes back to that passage that God does it for our good. A leader doesn't tell you, hey, look, this is what the Bible says about what you're going through. So don't do that because the Bible tells you not to. They're not doing it because they're getting anything from it. In fact, if you leave the church or go away, are they bothered? Well, obviously, because you're their friend. But it doesn't reflect on their salvation. They're doing it because they love you. And like God, they want the best for you. So receive the rod of discipline when someone gives it to you. Don't be so proud that you can't receive from someone else the instruction of God. Amen? Ooh, everyone's like, heavy stuff. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm ready to receive. <laughs> or maybe you're not. You're getting there. Okay, and then the last one I want to say, this is really quickly. I've called this one the glare. Have you ever received that look from your parents? And it's not the look of anger. It's not the look of you're going to get it. But it's just a look of disappointment. When you turn in your grades and they're all Fs. Or, and, and your parents are looking at you, man, I wish you could do better. And often that hurts more than a smack on your backside. If, you're, if you know your parents love you, and you want to please them. You want to do well for them. Sometimes when they look at you like that, it's worse than if they took you into the bathroom and gave you a good hiding. Sometimes God looks at us like that. He did it to Peter when Peter messed up. And we find it in the story of John chapter 21. Verse 15 to 18. I'm not going to read it all, but basically Peter messed up and denied Jesus. And then Jesus rose from the dead, and there he was. And, and he came to Peter, and, and he asked him three times, one, you know, right after the other, Peter, do you love me? And sometimes, you know, you, I, I imagine myself in that, that situation and just seeing Jesus' face. Because Jesus knows Peter denied Jesus three times, and Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? 
to represent those three times that Peter denied him. And I think by the third one, Peter was probably a broken man. He was probably like, oh, why are you going to do this to me? It's that look of disappointment that comes from a parent that says, I know you can do better. But it's that look of disappointment that's not destructive but constructive. It's that look of disappointment that looks deep into you, that pierces your very heart and says, I know you can do better. I know you've got it in you because I created you. And you're my son. You're my daughter. And I know that you can do better because I'm here with you to help you. As a result of that discipline that Jesus brought to Peter in that moment, Peter changed. He received it in the right way. The same with David. David received it in the right way and he changed. And as a result, their lives changed. Peter went on to be the great evangelist, the apostle Peter, who preached on the day of Pentecost and saved 3,000 people in one message. He became known as like the father of the church, the, the one, the leader of the 12, the one who established God's church. And it happened when Jesus brought that discipline to his life and says, hey, I know what you did. You did wrong. You shouldn't have denied me. But I know you can do better in the future. Amen. Now, God brings discipline to our lives. Does it through his word, through others in spiritual authority around us, and through our situations sometimes. But there's always a choice to be the son or the daughter or to be the illegitimate child. And it's our choice to make. Nobody can make it for you. You have to choose for yourself if you want to be a son or a daughter or not. And you do it by receiving God's discipline. What do I mean by that? It says in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8, and I don't have it written down here, which isn't very helpful. Um, it says, my son... Heed my words or listen to my words. Heed what I'm about to tell you. In other words, don't despise what I'm going to give you. I put it like this, to receive with humility. To allow God to be dad and for you to be the child. And a child accepts that discipline because they know that their dad knows best. It's called humility. It's called saying, God, you know what? I may be an adult, but I'm still kind of dumb. I still make mistakes. I want you to shape me. I want you to make me a better person. I want to get to that goal of being perfect. So here I am. I give my life to you. I give everything I am to you. I let go. Speak to me, teach me, tell me what to do. And that's the right attitude to have.
have for God's discipline. So I want to invite you to just stand in this moment. And we're going to finish this meeting. And I have a question for you. Do you want to be a child of God? Do you want to heed the words of your father or not? Do you want to receive God's discipline? Because if you do, everything will change. It may not be easy in the moment. You may have to humble yourself. You may have to get rid of your pride. But God can make you into a new person. God can change your life. The things you don't like about yourself, God can help shape you into being that better person. I don't know if you know God or if you're here for the first time, but today you have that opportunity to receive God as your Father. And so I want to invite you to close your eyes just where you are. And if you want to receive God as your Father, maybe for the first time or Again, maybe you feel like you've become that illegitimate child. You're doing things your own way. You're doing your own life. Not listening to what God has to say. Then I want to invite you with everyone's eyes closed just to lift your hand in this place. And just say, yeah, that's me. I want to accept God's Father over my life. I want to be a son or a daughter once again. Now, it doesn't matter who your dad on this earth is. Forget about whether they were good or bad. And see today that you have a God who is a Father who is perfect and loves you and wants the best for you. So just with your hands raised, if that's you, I want to pray for you in this place. Father, I thank you that you are the perfect dad, that you never fail us, that you never forsake us. And if we're willing to accept your way, your discipline, you will call us children, sons and daughters. And tonight, Lord, for every person who's lifted their hands or for those who feel in their heart, tonight I want to ask that you would come into every life here and reveal yourself as the Father who loves His children so much that He's not just going to let them do whatever they want and mess their lives up. God, I pray tonight that you would open up heaven and reveal to us the truth of you, who you are as a dad. Reveal to us the truth that you are our dad and that you love us more than we can ever imagine. And that you want the best for us, God. Tonight, Lord God, speak to our hearts. And if there's discipline that you have to bring to us, tonight we want to accept it. If there are things in your life that you know God has spoken to you about that are not right, tonight is an opportunity to lay those things down. And if that's you, just say in your heart this prayer, Father, I'm sorry that I've messed up. I'm sorry that I've done these things. I'm sorry that I've ignored you and ignored your word in my life tonight. Tonight I want to recommit to you. I want to give my life once again to you, Lord Jesus, to you, Father God. And I want to accept your discipline. I want to place my life back in order in Jesus' name. And I want to finish with a prayer I want us all to pray I'm going to pray it and I want you to repeat after me everyone in this place repeat this prayer after me Lord Jesus I thank you that you came to this earth to show me who my father in heaven is and you laid down your life on the cross so that I can be accepted by my dad in heaven. 
so that I can receive that spirit of sonship, so that I can be a child of God. I thank you, Jesus, tonight that I can be a child of God and that as a result, I can live my life. I can grow and I can receive eternal life and I can receive the love of the Father. Lord, tonight, I just receive it right now. The love of the Father, the love of my Father in heaven. I ask that you would reveal to us in this moment our heavenly Father. And show us that good Father who is there for us in every moment. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen. Let's give God a round of applause.